I will just I will just not this is just not fair this is just Hi, today I'm talking to Shreshtha, who is a journalist, a very good friend of mine, and we'll be talking about traveling because that's one of the things that she really likes to do. Like, uh, we'll talk about what like likes to do. I mean, I'm I'm sure you can still like not in the like foreseeable fu- future. Looks so I mean, unlikely. I mean, I I mean I'm an <laughs> optimist, but that's it. Um, and uh, yes, liked traveling. Um, and yes, and we'll talk a bit about what you know working like being a journalist is like what the workplace is like whether it's a friendly environment uh the kind of experiences that one gets to have um and we'll also talk a bit about uh the whole sort of uh, ethos associated with journalism as a career path uh but before we get into all of that uh, i'd like to ask you how you've been because i know this pandemic has had different uh, sort of ex- like people have had various experiences with this pandemic they've dealt with it very differently uh, and in a very personal manner but how have you been how have you been dealing with all of this um hi so basically uh, the thing is i am a lifestyle journalist so my and and i write for a lifestyle magazine where i'm the books editor for them so that entails that uh, and i write on and off about travel as and when i can so that entails that i speak to authors go attend literary events around the country and beyond and uh, do book reviews and uh, do author interviews and things like that so ideally you would think that my work is sitting in a corner in an island and reading my books and talking about them but because of this pandemic obviously the publishing houses also took a step back right okay so like when like we'll get back to journalism and uh, i'm very interested in knowing what the life of a journalist is like how you got into it but then before all of that i'd just like to ask you because i know there are a lot of people right now especially um in my generation or in my age group uh who are very interested in in what journalism has to offer um but was that the same case for you did you always know that this is something that you wanted to pursue or or did you just happen to stumble upon it and then happen to like it and then just gone from there so uh, i've i've been working full time since 2014 and two years before that where i was part time so honestly mm-hmm. i stumbled upon it um in the sense that i started working when i was in my i was finishing my first year of college here in calcutta um i used to go to presidency and what the telegraph team had then decided that that was the first year they uh, they started a team called uh, the campus team which basically had like representatives from each college in the city so we were a group of like five right. six people reporting on youth related news and like what we are thinking what we are doing and it was supposed to be a two month internship but it soon turned into like a two year paid thing where i was i had started doing like i covered start covering events and again the whole same lifestyle uh, genre so and i was enjoying yeah. that that was fun and obviously when you were uh, when you're just 19 years old and you're you're going to college a, a steady flow of pocket money also doesn't help and it was good money that telegraph mm-hmm. was paying us so i had a great time two years i did that and then i i went to on to do my masters to delhi i went to indian institute of mass communication 
where I studied mm-hmm. advertising and PR, which is mass media in a way, didn't have anything to do with journalism. Uh, okay. And I started working in, so I've worked in advertising. I worked in product building where I used to work for a dating app. And then I worked in advertising again as, and finally I decided that I wanted to write full sentences again and sort of like hone my skill a little. So yeah. I decided to come back to publishing. Honestly, like mm. I know a lot of people might think that, you know, that whole focus of a career goal and like, you know, you know one thing and you're working towards it. That has never been the case mm. for me. For me, it has always been about storytelling. So it never mattered what mm. form of content I was creating as long as I knew that I was creating some content. And right. So you were very closely associated with the written word, even if it wasn't in the form of journalism, yes. advertising, PR. It's always got to do something with the written word. Mm-hmm. And I find that interesting because that leads me to my second question in a way, because I've always wondered whether a journalist requires a prerequisite form of headspace when they enter into the workplace. Um, I know there are various forms of journalism, obviously, but whenever someone works with the written word, uh, is there some sort of condition like, or is there some sort of prerequisite that one must employ? Or is there some sort of headspace that one must have? Like, you know, um, I often hear in terms of, let's say law, for instance, I was always told that you must love reading. You must want to read a lot. Now I'm someone who likes reading a particular kind of uh, book or I'm not, I'm not that kind of person who likes reading anything that's given to them, right? So uh, is there something similar with uh, journalists or journalism that you must like doing a certain kind of thing? So again, this is a question which would be very genre specific in the sense like what kind of journalism you're doing, what kind of beat you're covering, what it is that interests you. But essentially, if you were to tie one thread, uh, if you want to use one thread to tie all of this together, like all journalists together, it stems from this one need to tell stories which I think is very important. So whether it is fashion or whether it is uh, politics or whether it's current events, whatever it is that you're writing on, you want, you have something to say, you have an opinion and you want to express it. And, or, or you think that this voice needs to be heard, which is why you decide to highlight a certain designer, politician, grassroots level leader or a writer, however you want to see it. So, right. Otherwise, there is no such prerequisite because a lot of I have seen a lot of people in my line of profession who have chosen to get into this profession for so many different kinds of reasons. Like somebody quit a banking job and just knew that banking wasn't for him and decided to become a reporter. And he's like, he's one of the one of the really good ones on the team who does uh, current events and politics as well. So again it can stem from anywhere and planning can only get you so far after that it's it's like your your interests sort of help shape where the path leads hmm. right so um so how long has it been since you've properly entered journalism as a field or since you've been working um with Telegraph, say, for instance, have you been dealing with journalism before that or? Yeah, so uh, the, has two, it only the, the two years when I was in college, I did this mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. I left and I did other things for five years and now I've come back and it's been another mm-hmm. two years. So I spent four right. years dabbling in journalism. Right. So that's that's fairly long. So would you say that it's all been... Um, you know, roses and petals or has it has has it had moments of where you've, you know, sort of not liked um, 
the phase that you're in or the environment that you're in or even working for that matter have there been moments where you've questioned or like you know um i wouldn't use the word regret but have you have there been moments where you've not liked uh, a certain thing that you're doing in the workplace uh, always uh, i think that happens every right. day when you're waking up when you're employed oh, <laughs> yeah when you're employed somewhere that i think that conundrum is born more from the fact of like you know you want to do something of your own like you know i okay because obviously the moment you are associated with a certain organization you will mm. obviously it's just how it works it's how the world works that you will be expected to pick up the slack as well as try and do kind the kind of things it's always a mix between the kind of stories you want to do and the kind of stories that you're compelled to do and right. you can't just grudge the organization for throwing the second part of the narrative also your way because that's also a part Absolutely. of it so um yes. yeah so like for instance i worked i was editing uh one of the uh one of the fashion magazines in this country for a bit uh, which was harper's bazaar bride which later got right. uh, rebranded as harper uh, brides today and right. uh, uh and being there uh the environment or however it was it wasn't a very pleasant experience for me because there was a way certain way i wanted to uh write about fashion and which is changing okay. now and which is so different mm-hmm. now there's a lot of in depth conversation around fashion so uh, but uh, the the demand of the magazine was such that it didn't it disallowed such kind of thinking which is understandable because you know every platform right. is very different and it caters to a different kind of an audience so i Absolutely. i don't want to be talking about uh, sustainability in fashion to a bride who is willing to spend it lacks on a lehenga for her wedding right so this is not a conversation you need to understand you can't push your agenda to everybody you need to know Absolutely. who you are speaking yes. to so i realized that that wasn't a good fit for me and i stepped away so you know you can't just grudge and say that you know this is bad and i'm going to do if you think it's not a good fit you st- take a step back but right. so you've got to choose and you've got to pick your battles basically yes right uh, and i think that's very interesting because i come across people you know who who are motivational speakers or you know who've given tech talks who say that you know i love the fact that i get to do what i want every day i wake up with such gratitude but it isn't necessarily like that right there there are a lot of um nuances to a feel that you'd be really interested in as well um but there's a lot of talk happening around journalism because we see a lot of people uh very interested in who are very interested in the field not only in terms of wanting to pursue it but maybe not wanting to pursue it but uh still wanting to you know sort of imbibe traits of journalism in their own little way by you know posting on social media or you know i don't know if that you know if that aligns itself to journalism but you know sort of like uh writing blog posts or writing articles on their own um do you think that's a good thing do you think that you know it it's leading to a generation which is more informed which which likes talking more or do you think that it also has a flip side in the sense that there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of discourse about a lot of things but there isn't necessarily you know a lot of information in that discourse there's a, there isn't a lot of consciousness let's say so so uh, dilution of because of overcrowding of platforms has been a problem right. since forever because there is always in 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 the bengali calcutta context imagine there has always been five newspapers there is a bortoman there is a protidin there is an anand bazar patrika and there are right. other sunday herald and what not in the market Absolutely. and 
someone chooses to pick their allegiance and say ki i will read this paper and i will form my opinions from it right that is what Absolutely. the basic gist of it was now the fact that the revolution is now being recorded be it on a smartphone right. be it on uh, mostly on smartphones and the fact that it's become it's shared and because of technology we know what is happening in a neighborhood in california 2 minutes after it has happened is a wonderful right. thing and i just feel Absolutely. like the the fact that gen z has grown up as in was born after the most of majority part of the tech evolution had happened and had grown and was born into the uh, luxury of having technology around them kind of equips them better in a way to sort of weed out the noise and take in what they want you know right and right. and i think that's just commendable there's nothing wrong with it if you're sharing let them share let them create content there's no harm in anybody right. creating content that can hmm. never be any harm in any form of creation but right who what you choose to absorb from that creation uh, from this that content is completely up to you if you think there is overcrowding there's always an option to mute yourself out of it so right. uh, but then that's what but okay so i agree with what you're saying but then i raised this question only because not 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 so much about overcrowding but about the fact that since there are so many platforms it's not just about my personal choice about what to absorb or not there are there's a whole section of society especially in the indian context um who believes very like they might not believe it very voluntarily but who have this belief system that we will take the news that we get first and we will choose not to believe whatever we read after that or we will not consciously believe what we read after that and i spe- especially see it in the generation of my parents or their parents as well right um that they come across a piece in let's say whatsapp or any uh, social media outlet and they believe that and the second piece of read the uh, news that they read opposing that whether or not um it's backed by a lot of fact they choose not to believe so it isn't about personal choice as much as it is about um the kind of exposure that one gets in the form of media right which is why i asked this question because there there is a whole section of uninformed people who have the power of social media right now as well um which is a great thing in my opinion but can have a flip side as well right and i think that's why i asked this question to someone who is a journalist because i find it very interesting because there are a lot of there's a whole section in the society of journalists who are opposing a lot of what other journalists are doing right in in today's context so do you think it's very important to acknowledge that or do you think that you know that is just collateral damage that will happen with every uh, information outburst see in a uh, um in this context so uh, in an in an urban context when you place this information in an urban context you the kind mm-hmm. of people who are propagating or like trying to draw their information source from say a whatsapp forward are essentially the boomer generation who have access to technology now but do not know how to handle mm. it while millennials are still struggling mm. and learning and they they can mm. discern between the two but right. i feel that in a way it is our responsibility to have that conversation to 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 Absolutely. to 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 sort of uh, help them discern where they are just wasting their mental uh, bandwidth which is like the most mm-hmm. expensive economy right now your attention 
and uh, or or and uh, and and how to discern between what is to be absorbed and what is not so for that there there has to be certain kind of schooling so so how did we get schooled because while we were out playing in the fields there was a laptop getting installed in our houses or computers getting installed in our houses and which we came home to so there was that balance now now the next right. generation is born in front of the laptop they now because of this pandemic especially it has accelerated to the point where they they're, they're compelled to sit in front of the laptop and it's not just lazy parenting anymore so i just mm. feel like as a journalist it's fine that you know if for a minute you sharing a post on social media makes you feel like a journalist it's fine it's acceptable oh mm. consumption needs to be on a personal basis you cannot grudge creators or sharers in this instance for okay. for for, for crowding or overcrowding the space it's it's at the end of mm. the day it boils down to what you are consuming so there's no point in like holding a grudge against these people and saying that you know you clear out we journalists have a job we journalists like, i would if right. i had to find out whether the information is true or not i would perhaps go to a new york times and see whether it's mm. actually happening or not everybody has everybody forms their alliance and i think that is very important and and to speak to our parents about forming that alliance is also very important that they Wonderful. can't be reading anand bajar potrika and in the morning and then be reading like a whatsapp forward about pmc in the evening mm. and then trying to form an opinion from it mm-hmm. and yeah I, i agree i agree but um so we see a lot of you know uh, since you just mentioned that the most expensive commodity out there right now is your attention right it's very difficult to hold one's attention which is why i see a lot of um a lot of media houses or outlets out there uh, and not just media outlets but a lot of startups right now are getting into the business of trying to tell you the news whilst not buying much of your attention or whilst holding your attention for not very long yeah. um we see that in the form of apps like inshorts or we see that in the form of various pages on instagram or other social media outlets where you know you read a certain uh, piece of news in the form of let's say 20 words mm-hmm. right um is that because i i came across a conversation recently with a journalist who said that they they don't personally like that they don't th- they think it has various ramifications which aren't very uh you know positive uh to to news uh so would you agree with that or would you think that it's it's a step in the right direction in the sense that you know that we we need to spread news in some way and since you know the the old school way is clearly not working anymore we need to adapt to new methods see honestly at the end of the day uh, i believe that it's about how um, wait i lost my train of thought i'll tell you so <laughs> basically think it's about at the end of the day it boils down to what it is that you want to communicate now you can't grudge and say that you know why is there a a a an in shots telling you something within like 2 minutes of it it happening when you should be allowing good journalists the time to actually research and write a cohesive hmm. informed piece of article that will tell you more about it so now at, hmm. but it's a platform at the end of the day and it's a it's a democracy so why not hmm. the formats are changing technology has arrived and we are getting news 
before like two minutes after it is happening so then you can't mm-hmm. just be in denial and say that no good journalist journalism and not or is not this who defines good journalism what is good journalism for some right. it might be the fact that you know something the immediacy of it might be what is important for some it might mm-hmm. not be immediacy it for some it might just be you know sitting and reading about what's happening in in at length in this so because the formats are changing uh, how each format caters to one particular thing is also changing in the sense right. that if you want to read a newspaper or say you want to read long format stories they will be long format stories with information that was otherwise unavailable there will be no long hmm. format format story on say a sudden bollywood suicide there will not be right. because the news was just that the said person committed suicide that's it right. it's happened right. it's unfortunate people mourn but if someone wants to celebrate the life he has lived for that you would choose a long format story so i just Absolutely, feel like yeah. it's it's specific to the news as well to develop and evolve to suit a format and it is for the storytellers or these journalists or these writers or these authors to discern what platform their story deserves like authors are now hmm. making audibles they are writing books specifically for uh, uh an audible platform like a podcast of sorts right. and hmm. um, there there are poets who are writing for podcasts as well as there are poets who are writing poems for books so it's hmm. and they are the same poets who are doing both because they are realizing like i spoke to a poet very recently who has his own podcast and he said that my the poems that uh, go on the podcast are of a certain length and the video mm. has to be as in the audio has to be not more than say 7 minutes so it will, mm. in those 7 minutes he has to read out the poem as well as explain or whatever share his thoughts about the poem mm-hmm. and yet not exceed the 7 minutes and with his book he chose to write a poem which was two pages long so right it's about about the storytellers sort of harnessing the power of the platform and the right. immediacy or the quality of it to discern what story they need to tell on which platform so it's it's commerce meets art in a yeah, it's, it's in a much more subtle way it's always been hmm. that it's just that there's no point in being in denial for it like you can't just be a gatekeeper hmm. and say that you know you are not allowed you are not allowed you are not allowed and you're not doing hmm. this but what is right what is scary is what technology can achieve in this in in the form of uh like modi's campaign for instance last year mm-hmm. uh it was found out that they used uh, ai to form uh, facial structures which would tell you communicate things to you but the whole thing was that the person right. doesn't even exist so the whole wow, okay, case, i didn't know that yeah so whether like a facebook would allow such a video or not and then that's how the whole conundrum started about like right. fake ads and things like that so it's right. that there's always going to be two sides of the coin somehow i am being surprisingly hmm. positive about it but i just feel <laughs> like that it, it it has to be the storyteller's duty to discern what is for what right um so okay going back to something lighter because i wanted to talk about your personal experience as a journalist and i i must say i'm very envious can i just say that i am extremely envious of the of the life you've lived just so um could you just tell us like a few experience i i know most of what you've done not most of i'm sure there are many more things that you've done but then um could you just 
you know what what are some experiences that you've had that you prize a lot um in your career as a journalist what are some some of the experiences that you've had that you think that you might not have had had you not chosen this career path um so uh, i really i i love the fact that i get to speak one on one with authors that i have admired since i was in school and college right. uh, and i know i know i know that you've interviewed uh, amita bokosh i know that you've interviewed um, elif shafak am i am i pronouncing her name yeah, correctly shafak yeah right So what was that like? What what was that whole was, right? So you were saying. I'm sorry for interrupting. No, no, right, I continue. Was, I was mortified uh, before meeting Amitav Ghosh because I studied him in college. Even though he wasn't in my syllabus, I used to go and sit for uh, uh, Indian literature classes just because they were taught, teaching Shadowlands. I had American literature, right. so uh, hmm. so I was mortified. But he he's a he's a wonderful person. He's a gem of a person. He's so kind and so helpful and so friendly. um mm. uh, and and i think now i have come i'm come to a point where i having spoken to new authors as well as old authors i have come to realize that they can understand however much erudite you seem on a topic they can tell if you have yeah. just read the gist of their book or you have actually dived into their book you know well okay. like however mm. much however however many reviews you read and you think you're prepared and you know everything there is to mm. know about the book and you formed your questions and all of that an author will always be able to tell when you have like genuinely loved the book and when you're just saying that you know i really like your book please tell me this so mm-hmm. um so yeah so it really helps if you have if you actually do your research it's 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 appalling the number of people who who dare to show up in for an interview without having done their homework like it's appalling you will not be if you if you sit in on a press conference you'll realize the sheer mm-hmm. magnitude of these people and their right. uh, collective uh, ignorance sort of ignorance yes so right. uh, so so uh, yeah meeting amitav ghosh was amazing i've met him twice actually after especially la- last time was after his last book gun island came out so your pals now <laughs> <laughs> i wish <laughs> but um, i think one really nice experience that i had this year was at uh, jaipur literary festival where i was uh, interviewing uh howard uh, what's his name who's written oh god i'm so bad with names oh my god i'm so bad with names you're talking to me i'm terrible with names listen i forget my own cousin's name but i'll i'll tell you who i'm talking about howard jacobson oh my god so right. so, so yeah so so he won the booker in 2004 and all and i oh, wow. yeah so i was in Delhi I used to live in Delhi then when I came across the first book that I read by him it was called an act mm. of love and it was about this uh, man who believed that true love can only be experienced when you have seen the object of your affection in another's arms and right an act of love is what the, the there was a movie made in bollywood which was based on act of love which had sanjay dat and aishwarya rai bachchan i think it was called shabd I th- right okay okay so that kind of sort of deals mm. it's the same story actually they tried but they failed anyway so it's a it's a crazy book okay and surprise this- surprise <laughs> but, but so this guy he's this old man okay this really old mm. man in his 80s who has no fucks to give jacobson has no mm. fucks to give and you can understand that from his writing that he has no fucks to give he'll he, right. he went up on stage and he's saying writers need to celebrate shame because that is the only way you become a writer so that's who he is okay mm. right 
and it was just so ironic that uh, my friend was interviewing him before me and she got up and I had to sit down to take her place and start the interview. And what are the odds that she was my ex-flatmate who had given me my first book by Howard Jacobson, which was Act of Love. So, wow. uh, yeah, and uh, we had, I remember we had spent an entire night staying up till 4 a.m. eating ice cream and just discussing the genius of the book. So it was just, there was something so poetic about it. And we told him this and he's like, wow, that's like my most underappreciated book. Maybe I should get you guys some loyalty. And uh, <laughs> yeah, so, so we had, but, but again, an interview that started so beautifully. Like I said, that man has no fucks to give. He's a writer. He was born to be a fiction writer. So he, I, I, I asked him about disassociating the art from the artist and the whole, like if the, if, if the artist has done something wrong in life or been involved then in the Then should people, his art just be celebrated or his social, uh, you know, and, repercussions of that? Yeah. yeah, and he couldn't believe it. He's like, are you telling me I can't watch Manhattan anymore because somebody said something about Woody Allen? And I'm like, right. okay, how do you respond to that? <laughs> I'm like, oh, yeah, maybe. <laughs> but uh, so then he was... He was all about, he, he spoke about uh, Celine, called him horrible things and, uh, but said, you know, love is like, hate the person, loathe the person, but love the art, like love the work. Right. So again, right. that was like such a different perspective coming from someone who you would think would have like, who would say, you know, being woke. But he right, had, right. Who would have a very linear opinion, but he didn't. But he didn't. Which is surprising. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, that's for books. As for travel, travel is nice. So travel, basically, my boss is too kind and nice. She knows that I get very <laughs> patient. So if I'm stuck at one place for too long, so she kindly allows me to like, and, and I make no uh, qualms. Like I, I, I don't say no to anything. So I've, like, hmm. I've gone to Nagaland also for the Hornbill Festival when no right. one wanted to go on the team. Nope, everyone Which is that. so amusing. I'll just interrupt you there for a second because uh, I came across this series of uh, uh, posts that you made actually uh, talking about stories that you've collected over the years. And it was just such an amusing post. I was, I was in awe and I remember texting you right after that because you know some of the stories that you mentioned were so amusing um, that I thought to myself that this is an experience that many would like to have perhaps. But I think, and I might be wrong here, but this is also one of the perks of having the career path that you do. Uh, wouldn't you say, I mean, uh, because some of these experiences or traveling in the way that you do uh, is, is not, is not, you know, let's say very massy, you know? So, so uh, that yeah. I don't think is dependent on my job because okay. I have noticed that I, I go all out when I travel. I am a sucker right. for stories. I love interacting with new people. I love meeting new people. And I just like, I just want to know what happened in the end in their lives. You know, I just want right. to know what happened after that. I just want to know what happened after that. So uh, there is, there is, there is no other high that I get than I, than like speaking to someone new, meeting someone new and have that person eventually open up about their own lives enough, like trust me enough to tell me secrets. And that hmm. kind of compels me or pushes me to travel more than like exploring scenic areas. Of course, that's an experience in itself. Sitting on uh, on 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 uh, Hoi An Lake, sitting beside Hoi An Lake, watching the lanterns is an experience in itself. But like the conversation hmm. that followed with the stranger who was sitting next to me gave me a bigger high. Hmm. So so 
that i feel like is something that you can get whether you're traveling to shantiniketan or you're going to switzerland right. or you're going to uh, shivam's house so you know right so so that way i think yes the the fact that i got this many opportunities to travel uh hmm. in the last one year and a half year uh, that was amazing yes that was because of my job but then i wouldn't really uh be so harsh on myself and say it was because of my job because even when i was in delhi i was traveling just as frequently only i was now it's right. it, it's a lot of it has been paid for as opposed to before when i was funding all of it mm-hmm. that's the only difference right. that's that's what i meant i mean the logistics of it yeah were probably easier yeah yeah that is so, okay just just because i find your travel stories and your travel life so interesting um and i know that there have been many stories that you sort of or, or experiences that you've had with people so would you say that and i know that a lot of your traveling has been alone like you know you've you've both, gone alone both, to a lot of both. places and that's not because you don't have many friends which <laughs> which i know you do but but, but uh, it, that's just something i guess you like i mean you you like traveling alone um and yet i find like yet i find a sort of uh, you know sense of irony there because even though you like traveling alone you like meeting people and you like you know your experience with human kind let's yeah. say right more yeah. than the location um so yeah so is there any particular experience that you'd like to narrate and i know there are many <laughs> and we don't have to take names if you don't want to but then um just anything that you find funny or like eventful or something that you'll remember or you know something that's you know a, a cherished memory say for instance um i think uh, i remember i was uh, my birthday was in like 3 days and i was in mm. hanoi uh, which is right. the capital of vietnam and uh, i was sitting on the stoop of my hostel and i was drinking a beer and i was video chatting with my parents complaining about how much i had walked walked the entire day and what all i had seen and right. like that and suddenly there were these two english twins who came and sat down beside me on the stoop and they also got their beers and we got to chatting and You know, somehow I I don't I'm sure even you've experienced it. The moment there is a cosmopolitan bunch of young people sitting together over drinks, some point of the conversation will definitely go towards world politics. Would you agree? Right, of course. I I I do. I do. Yeah. Right. So I've seen that more. I mean, I've seen that more uh, outside school than inside school. My school isn't very <laughs> interested in politics, but yes. Yeah. Right. I I get what you're saying. Yes. Yeah. So obviously, I think I think I think it's like a. it's 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 what connects people i think everybody yes. just sort of assumes that everybody's involved in world politics or interested so i think and not only that it's just that the 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 universal experience is now so homogenized in the sense everybody right. thinks that their government is crazy and like unless Absolutely. you're from new zealand you think that your government is crazy <laughs> and things like that right. uh but anyway so i was talking to the the sandeep to english boys and they were very nice okay they had just graduated college they were all of 21 years old and uh, mm. very curious very enthusiastic and they had just come back from india and they had uh, now they oh. were in vietnam and uh, so uh, i remember they were very apologetic for their forefathers kept talking about like hey, <laughs> you know we sorry we sorry we fucked you guys up <laughs> and this and that and uh, then uh, two other people came and joined us one was this german fellow who was baked out of his mind okay right. and this other guy who was also english but he was indian 
who moved to London when he was five years old and has been there since. But he still has right. like very strong traits of Malu. Mm-hmm. Very rooted. Right. Yeah, yeah Malu Christian blood flowing through him. And there was this 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 black guy from Paris who had an right. Afro, beautiful Afro, and he was in his own world. He came and got us like some cooking cans of beer, kept it in the middle of the circle and said, hey guys, this is for you. And we had no idea. Okay, we were like, oh, what? <laughs> so all of that is happening. How generous. There was a point of time that evening when one of these English dudes was reading my story on Elif Shafak and the Turkish Revolution on his phone out loud right. to the French dude while this German dude rolled a joint for me and while I discussed China with this other English and this Indian dude. And I think that is by right. far the most cosmopolitan experience I have wow, that's wonderful. ever fit into like one, like a half an hour stretch. I remember. So that's a snapshot that you must have in your mind somewhere, right? I have, right, I that's... have actual snapshot, like two snapshots of like, like guys this side and guys this side. And, <laughs> and the thing is, I write a lot uh, when I'm traveling. So I remember I was very drunk by the time I went back to my hostel bed. So. I, hmm. I have scribbled like some, barely scribbled something saying, I'm so happy right now. <laughs> but yeah, that oh. happened. I think that was a fun Right. Time. Right. What was your experience in Nagaland like? And I think a lot of people, I ask, Nag- I ask about Nagaland because a lot of people, you know, don't know about the Northeast at all, yeah. even within our country, you know, forget about abroad. But then um, that's just a very... I feel it's a very underrated, very unexplored um, area. And perhaps that's why it's still, it's still one of those places where when people go, I've never heard, you know, negative reviews. Um, I, I love it. I didn't go for too long. I wish I had, but I absolutely loved it. I went for hmm. uh, the Hornbill Festival, which happens every 1st to 10th of December every year. And it is their most hmm. religious festival. So in Nagaland, there are 16 recognized tribes, recognized by the government. Right. And uh, so their deal is that, uh, so all these 16 tribes, they sort of do uh, various forms of competition. So they have like running on stills and whatnot, different mm. cooking competition, this and that happening during the day. And in the, and they have stalls selling Naga artifacts uh, right. in the stop, uh, shops. And they also have uh, these rock concerts and performances and they are, they appreciate they, they're very good musicians, most of them. Yeah, they, they know their yes. music, they understand it. Uh, so obviously the music is like, they have some of the best artists around the world coming down. So it, it attracts a lot of audience from around the world and not just in India. Right. And uh, yeah, so it happens in a little village, uh, in, in, in this place called Kohima, which is... Uh, Around five, six hours drive from Dimapur, which is the capital where your flight lands. Right. It's a terrible mm. drive. You might want to give up halfway. It's that bad. Apparently, roadworks oh have been going on for the last two years. Nothing has happened. The chief minister visits mm. on a helicopter, obviously. But obviously. Uh, yeah, so the journey is very traumatic, but uh, mm. uh, it's worth it because the village is beautifully lit up. There are some mm. very nice points. But one thing I've noticed like qualitatively that I really love about people from the Northeast is that I think it's about people from the hills in general because they their right. day-to-day life is so hard in the sense like even going mm-hmm. and fetching tomatoes from the market is such a difficult a process 
that they are mm-hmm. relatively very free towards the rest of the life the rest of rest of the aspect right. of life so they will mm-hmm. not take like too much pressure about who said what and who felt what and right. this and that they have bigger priorities that mainly living their life is like a bigger priority and i think i think i think uh, that that's the experience of rural india in general i mean even if you go to rajasthan or any i think folk culture sort of you know like it it got born out of the fact that a lot of their daily existence has so much pathos in it that they don't really care about uh anything other than that but uh, here that i wouldn't say pathos it's it's more like just different sets of priorities you know okay like right. it it has no pathos they their their lives are so colorful and so happy and so this thing they do hold grudges i've spoken to a few people there and they do hold grudges uh, against mm-hmm. uh, mainstream media for not highlighting issues in the northeast and sort of ostracizing mm-hmm. them in a way uh, which makes no sense but uh, at the end of the day they're very self sufficient and they're like you know if you want to ignore us it's fine because we can make do it's not like we need you but right. i think you should right. so hmm. that's a different hmm. mindset which i really appreciate and i i just love people in the northeast i love that absolutely that's wonderful that's wonderful um i know that and since i can't ask this to many people on this podcast but i know food is something i'm very fond of and you know i i love celebrating food i wanted to become a chef at one point obviously i had to give that up but then anyway um and i i i have an idea that you know like whenever you go traveling or whatever stories you post or pictures you post cuisine is a very important part of the of your travels right so uh, is that something that you look forward to do you look forward to uh, because i know travelers who go to let's say you know a very nice place in southeast asia but would still like to order from a kfc there you know so is that something that you abhor um and so what's that like what I- is to 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 tell you a secret if i'm traveling internationally then i don't mind going to not a kfc but like i i don't mind going to a burger king because they have tenderloin burger which we don't get in india and i think yeah, the tenderloin is no. nice but other, that's like right. that's the only time i would walk into a fast food joint right because otherwise mm. i'm always out on the streets trying to experiment as much as i can and i generally have mm. like a list of things i know which i should be eating and i also know like where i would find them but like right. nagaland for instance it's it's a very like it's a very closed festival if you want to like of course you'll get food and all but uh, mm-hmm. if you want to like if you want the exotic worms and the exotic grasshoppers and all of that which i right. was lucky to like interact with someone who treated us i know food. i right so ate all of that and could form an opinion about worms are just like lace chips only it has just like a stronger aftertaste <laughs> but right. vietnam for instance i knew that i had to try an egg coffee and see what the halabalu was about i had to try right. snake meat which i did like, how was that very chewy hmm. but nice and i couldn't drink snake blood though they make like a a a, a, a vodka sort of drink with the snake blood that i couldn't oh wow okay yeah okay but, and thailand you know the 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 usual things you see on the streets mm-hmm, all that also mm-hmm. i've done and uh, i think vietnam i planned my trip solely because food was like one of the most important parts of the of the journey that i knew i i was obsessed with vietnamese cuisine i had eaten mm-hmm. in delhi uh, for at this there's a little restaurant called little saigon 
I know you told me about it. I remember I was getting to that when I was going to Delhi. I texted you uh, about you know wanting to eat well, and then you just you were like, okay, hold on. And then <laughs> you just went on a rant like a like a little monologue, which I was super appreciative of. But uh, yes, little Saigon. Yeah, so it's uh, run by this Vietnamese. Yeah, so it's run by a Vietnamese family, and that was my first introduction to Vietnamese cuisine, and it was as authentic hmm. as it gets because they were serving their food. so and right. and they were authentic in the sense that they were from vietnam who just suddenly packed their bags and came to delhi and set up shop and mm-hmm. they would go spend two months in vietnam every year and 10 months they would be functioning here so it was really authentic and right. great food so that's what made it and it's one of the healthiest cuisines in the world because they vietnamese people celebrate every form of flavor like even bitterness is celebrated you know like wow. in the sense it's very umami like it's very like all your taste buds are explored sort exactly. of exactly and all of that in the natural forms through herbs only not like no okay. no oil no nothing so there like there's right. this one dish i had which was basically a flower that was steamed with a shrimp in the center they just put a shrimp on the flower and they steamed the whole thing Right, and that's wow, it. Wow, that's that's very it. artistic. Exactly. Right. So it's crazy. Then there was this one form of, uh, I think it was form of a root or or some vegetarian plant that they used to uh, cook shrimps only. I think, but it's it grows only on coconut trees when the coconut tree hmm. has died. So which right. means that that growing on the tree means that the tree is dying. So it's very expensive. you know it's mm-hmm. like white it's chewy and uh, it's crispy and it's soft it tastes like a coconut only but like a very refined and very yeah. uh, some form of coconut so that was mm-hmm. interesting and so i remember i went to this small roadside place where they we ordered fish soup so they came and put a stove on our uh, table then they bought a bowl of the fish soup and they kept it and on the side they gave us like sliced karela uh, Right, bitter gourd. Mm. Only there's a yeah, yeah. It's a it's a little different for them. It's it's smaller somehow. So you, mm. according to how much taste you like, you put the bitter gourd in the uh, soup and you cook it. You oh. stew it for a so bit. It's like a DIY sort of thing. But right. the fact that that's wonderful. Yeah, the fact that they celebrate the bitterness as well, which which I found was so refreshing. Like, why right. not? But that's there in Bengali cuisine as well. Yeah, I yeah. mean, that, I think that's one of the like lesser known Indian cuisines which celebrates bitterness. I yeah, think. yeah. But Anyway, um, you're the first, and uh, not that I'm an ageist or anything, but you're the first guest that we've had on our podcast who's not from our age group. Right? <laughs> and I think that's wonderful because that gives me the opportunity to ask you um, what what the conditions of a workplace is like. Because there are a lot of people who are graduating this term. There are a lot of people who are wanting to start working. Let's say, uh, what was that experience like? And I ask you because. Um, you know you sort of went to delhi from calcutta and i don't think you'd stayed in any other city before you uh, went to delhi right um and then you started working in delhi didn't you like you yes. like properly yeah. um what was that like and i asked ask you this because there's a lot of conversation that i hear around my friends uh, who are of the opinion that you only grow properly when you leave your hometown right uh, a sort of personal growth happens which, which i agree with but um, but then i also think that you know like the whole concept of a hometown 
is it is it more of a social construct would you say like you know uh, if you've stayed in delhi long enough for instance or if you've had the certain if, if you've had the environment where you sort of adapted to it so beautifully that that has somehow become home for you and then you somehow feel disconnected when you move back right so does that mean that delhi became your hometown does that mean you know so there's a is it a social construct is it not what is that whole phase like when you move out of your city to work in a different city so um i i wouldn't say home the concept of hometown is a social construct of course where you grow up is your hometown but i hmm. do believe that your idea of home can change some people right. might move out and find a home in their independence uh by living hmm. alone and some people might crave home and i've seen both sides of the story like vehemently right. obsessively on one side of the story where uh, this person is like you know can't wait to go back to calcutta and has quit his job right. eventually and moved back to the city and has made a living here and done okay but there are thousands for for every one such case there are thousands of bengalis who will never uh, can't even think of like going back or coming back here so hmm. uh, that way i think that um it's more about the freedom that comes with independence and the responsibilities that come with living alone making your own mm. money and deciding or having the power to choose what you want to do with that money right and how you want to spend it or uh, whether you want to skip rent this month and beg at your landlord's feet and say next month and you spend that money on alcohol somewhere else or whether mm. you uh make the right decisions and pay all your bills and then not have any money left to initial days not have like i remember initially my our i used to live with three other girls in a four bhk apartment it was very nice we all had our rooms we all had our spaces and all but we were very poor we were in our first job so rent was cheap we got lucky but i remember in the summers our social life planning used to revolve around the electricity bill so depending on right. when the electricity bill would come and we would see the amount because like some month it would be 12000 bucks with mm-hmm. divided between mm-hmm. four people which was preposterous at that time like right. 3000 rupees to be given for electricity so that what we, were you doing like <laughs> how much electricity were you burning four acs so and oh, like old acs right. in a four four old apartment mm-hmm. so then i can imagine right. we have even done planned like this where three of us were friends one was a stranger so three of us we knew that someone's birthday is coming that month so we we three have slept in one room for like three weeks so that the bill is adjustable oh, wow. and we can spend on the birthday we've seen days like that as well who was stranger though why didn't you make them your friend like oh she was horrible she was so oh, okay. bad we found her like online <laughs> she was so bad we found like we discovered half our utensils from her room after she moved out because she used to just eat and oh, keep them on the side God. and they were unwashed oh, we had to throw them away oh, no. yeah which is horrible right so anyway right. so things like that happen but uh, hmm. um yeah so that i think like hometown is not a social construct but the idea of home is a very personal construct as hmm. for working um see of course work cultures are very different in uh, different cities of because right. because delhi is a very cosmopolitan place where it's mostly made out of outsiders who have come to make a life themselves in some generation or the other so the right. the 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 zeal to work is very high everybody knows that mm-hmm. in the competitive world out there there are 40 other applicants waiting to take the job that you might vacate 
so mm. everybody puts in whereas in a place like calcutta it's relatively more chilled out because it's lesser people it's smaller work opportunities right. are far lesser and people can work at their own leisure so of course city wise work varies a lot mumbai mm. is more competitive than delhi and calcutta put together but mm. uh i feel that what career path you're choosing a lot of your workplace ideas depend on that as well in the sense right. that i've been in advertising you know people are walking in at 2 pm uh, in their shorts with their toothbrush in their bag saying yeah eh hi brush karna hai and uh, mm-hmm. then ideating till 10 in the night not cracking an idea going out for a drink coming back at 12 with the most brilliant idea that has come up over the course of a drink mm-hmm. and then putting making a pitch and then going the next morning at 6 am and presenting also i've done that so it's crazy right. so it's you can take things at your own pace it's a creative field it's but then again that is advertising then the pace mm. of a newsroom is again very different for say uh, a fledgling new startup that is also dealing with news will be very different from say an indian express newsroom or a telegraph newsroom where there are senior right. members as well who are, who are trying to concentrate on their very important copy that has to go out the next mm. day and then there is say a tech job where you're sitting at your desk and you're 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 in a cognizant or a tcs i i i don't know the names properly but you know their work culture is very different so they look forward to the breaks because they know that that's right. when the work becomes fun and then they again go back to work where work mm-hmm. is work and fun is fun right so right. that would depend on again say for a lawyer for instance as in your brother who mm. practices his own who has his own practice mm. as opposed to someone who's employed at a firm you know won't mm. even get to see their themselves in the mirror for one week at a stretch because there's something right. happening so a lot of that depends on the kind of workplace that you're choosing to be in there are two mm. schools of thought i firmly believe the ones who want to make a profession out of what they like and then right. there are those who like to differentiate between what they like and their day job and mm. essentially the second lot become very rich <laughs> the first lot right. struggles a lot but mm. uh, yeah if you're if you're proactive in but where do you find yourself do you do you are you very comfortable in your workplace or has has a workplace ever been slightly toxic for you and i don't just mean where you are currently but in your experience of working i have um, worked in toxic uh, workplaces i haven't lasted more than 6 mm. months in both the places that have been toxic in my life mm. so that's mm. something mm. because i i know for a fact that i am not the kind of person who can just you know be blind eyed and just you know do my work and leave i will not let the toxicity affect me and things like that i'm not that kind of a person if there are to- mm. if there are toxic things happening around me i tend it it makes my work suffer and because i know this right. i tend to disassociate from the place the job however what mm. however important it is whatever it is i i'd rather which like which is which is good on you because a lot of people don't even recognize or a lot of people aren't even aware of of what's happening but um yeah so i'd like to ask you because especially in the field of journalism is there any discrimination of course there is i mean I've, like you one hears stuff but is there any um discrimination that you've per- personally noticed like not maybe not personally but you've noticed in the workplace discrimination that is age based or gender based um you know has there been instances of that because i think um for for an industry which 
you know has a lot of responsibility on their shoulders to be morally responsible uh, coherent with society's norms especially uh, those of today uh, do you see a lot of that happening do you see a lot of incoherence instead what what's that like no i have been very extremely lucky that way i work in a setup where there is very uh, less hierarchy everybody reports to the editor and there is a clear channel of communication and um hmm. and i'm also very moved so i i don't have mm-hmm. any qualms in like saying something out loud if i think that that's inappropriate or like if something's happening wrong i'll point it out right there because it just comes instinctively to me as opposed to say mm-hmm. um and i think this is some this is a habit that is inculcated from having worked in a startup where there is there there's, there are no hierarchies in a startup everybody is putting in their extreme um uh, effort to make things work so you tend mm-hmm. to like if you are sitting and smoking with your ceo or like if you're sitting and getting a drink with your ceo it's no big deal but you're uh, mm-hmm. like in a, in 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 any other kind of like a long established setup there would be a uh, uh, this strange sense of hierarchy like oh my god the boss is here oh my god shut up what are you talking about oh my god be careful of okay. what you're saying and this and that. this i have seen exist very strongly mm. but otherwise mm. discrimination as such i have been very lucky to not encounter very lucky like supremely right. lucky to not have so but i've heard of like very uh, horrible experiences for people it's just that i haven't been one of them hmm, hmm. you know right so um right we're anyway pushing time right now yeah. but uh, is there is there anything that that you would like to say i know i haven't given you the chance to you know ask a question no, yourself if you no, no, no. but but because uh, because uh, you highlighted the fact that i am the first person not in this age group i feel like it's right. it's really imperative that and i just feel like i will pro- probably be reiterating what already goes on in your your head but if hmm. i just feel like we do not give the generation after us enough credit for everything hmm. that has been imposed on them by the boomers as well as by us and i just mm-hmm. and and you know there's too much of like conversation happening about this gen z being on snapchat and like not valuing uh long term associations right. and shit like that i just feel on the contrary it's very different that you guys have mm. grown up amongst so much of uh, uh uh of 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 like attention stealing devices around you that you you have mm. learned to streamline it way better than we could because we were suddenly right. swamped with technology we mm. we all lost our ability to read every day and you know things mm-hmm. like that which we used to previously enjoy but i have a feeling like yeah. as many people that i have encountered from your generation all of them are way more streamlined than i was at that age like mm-hmm. in the sense that they know that there is one book that they want to read and they will read it and they will not waste time uh with a book that they know is average but like everyone's talking about it so maybe you know maybe mm-hmm. i shouldn't dash they will not waste their time on it and this streamlining mm-hmm. is i feel is something that is not appreciated enough so i would like to sort of uh, such a such a compliment thank you yeah so that <laughs> and all the best for this pandemic i know we didn't call for it but yeah that too, yeah, the fact I that you guys had to survive this right right okay last question mm-hmm. uh, which i ask to people on this podcast all the time is that uh there are a lot of people who perhaps want to take the career path that you've chosen there are a lot of people who would perhaps want to you know uh envision a career for themselves very similar to the one that you have right now um is there anything that you'd recommend to them 
uh, is there anything that you did that you personally found very useful uh, you know what would you say to people who are struggling in that bit so i would just say that if if this is something that you want to do just learn to form opinions and i hmm. that is applicable for a lot of things but uh, hmm. especially for what i do as a profession is hmm. that you need to know what you like or what you dislike very clearly to be able to hmm. uh, sort of communicate that to others Right. why suppose in my perspective i'm saying that why do i like a certain book and why do i want other people to read it so for that i need to know what is likable about the book right and mm-hmm. how do i form an opinion so you need to know what you trust and where you consume your information to be able to form an opinion and trust your instincts and go ahead and say okay now i know i've read enough about the the situation and i have an opinion about it you know mm-hmm. so that is right. very important that i think otherwise i wouldn't give a, i i i wouldn't have anything to say about um uh, what platform what you want to do at the end of the day you should have this need in you to tell stories and mm-hmm. uh, how you tell it just falls into place so just like trust yourself and it will fall into place don't think about that i want to be a journalist like a digital journalist or i want to be a print journalist i want to be a radio jockey or anything of that sort journalism at the mm-hmm. end of the day is 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 changing every day because of the way we are consuming content is changing every day so that's why don't think of the platform don't think about just know what stories you want to tell and learn to form opinions right. that's it right thank you thank you that's the, that's a wonderful note to end on thank you for agreeing to do this right i know this conversation it's been very difficult to get this to happen but uh, thank you i hope you i hope you edit out all the junk that i spoken in between and all the uhs and uhs and whatever <laughs> we'll try our best that's not my department that's my friends and, I, and he does he does a wonderful job but I know I yeah uh, yes uh, thank you and stomp your feet everybody just bounce to the beats Taste that rhythm, take hold so sweet Feel the love as we dance